You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Ziana McIntyre, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, this is Jason Fieber, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hey, it's Taylor, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. Welcome. This is Paul David Thompson from Ready Investor One. And this is Doc G from Diversify.com. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Hey, Doc. I'm really excited about this episode because it's something that is applies specifically to my story. And I want to hear more about our guest story about is there a fast path to financial independence? So, I'll let each of them give a quick introduction and then we will just dig right into the content. Jason, do you mind giving us a quick intro, please, sir? Uh, sure. My name is Jason Fieber. I started blogging about financial independence back in 2011, and I used a combination of strategies, which was extreme frugality for quite a while. I rolled my excess savings into high-quality stocks that pay dividends, growing dividends, and then also mixed in some entrepreneurship with the online business stuff. And uh, finally, when the passive income started to become pretty significant into the low five figures, I moved abroad to Thailand to take advantage of geographic arbitrage. And now I live a very comfortable life here in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and very happy. So I went from below broke in debt, about 20K in debt, to financial independent in about six years. Mm, that's a great transformation story. And thank you for joining us. What is it, 10 o'clock your time when we were recording yes. this? So thank you for yeah. accommodating us. Uh, Ziana, sure. fellow real estate investor Maven, can you give us a quick introduction, please? Sure. So my five story is through Airbnb. I was just a college student renting and I just decided to try it. And in two years, I was able to get to Fi. And now I own six properties and manage another 15 or so around the world. Yeah, I can talk about how people can make automated businesses, how you can leverage a lot of technologies to get to Fi. And I also do index funds and all that. But real estate has really helped me boost it. Well, wonderful. Thank you for joining us. And Taylor, can you give us a quick introduction, please? Yeah, I am Taylor Rickens for all those last name trying to pronounce it out there. I am from the Playing With Fire documentary. So my husband, Scott, is the producer and person that did all the work. I just showed up and did life. So we went from pretty much spending every dollar that we ever made in the last two and a half years to about, right now we're about at a 50% savings rate and uh, 
on track to kind of fly out in the next six to 10 years, depending on who you talk to and what kind of mood we're in. Susiana, I want to start with you. You were on the Fire Drill podcast, and I, I believe it was Gwen that asked you, are you financially independent? And your answer was, I am financially independent, but it's sort of cheating. Can you tell me what you meant by that? That's interesting. I mean, I guess what I was probably referencing is just that I'm still working, you know, and so I think that a lot of people think that, oh, like the whole fire movement has the early retirement kind of cloud over them because people want to go, oh, if you're retired, that means you never, ever work again. And it's just not true. I mean, I got to fire at 28. And for me, it's just like, there's a lot of life left, you know, and I'm just kind of a tinkerer and an entrepreneur by nature. And so I knew that, yeah, I spent about two years mostly just hanging out. But after that, I just needed to build more stuff and things came up as opportunities. So I think a second part to that is that a lot of people that do financial independence, they're doing it through index funds. And so they hit a certain number, you know, 800,000, a million, and then they're living off the dividends. And for me, I was just living off of cash flow, essentially. You know, I don't have 600,000 or whatever, in, which was what my FI number originally was. I was just going to copy Mr. Money Mustache. And I'm just living off a of cash flow of all the homes and I have a little bit of index funds. So I think it's just like a different way of thinking. And to me, that felt like cheating. But I think now I know it's valid. Jason, Ziana brings up a point. Financial independence means different things to different people. What is the definition for you? And is there one definition? Well, I mean, if you were trying to define financial independence, I'd just say, you know, if you have some type of income source, typically passive, that exceeds your expenses, and you don't actually have to get up and do things you don't like to do, then, you know, you're financially independent. Now, that said, I actually put a post together a while ago saying the early retirement math is moot. I don't actually believe there is such a thing as like early retirement math or Anybody who is driven enough to do this thing, to live frugally and, and roll investments and has that kind of entrepreneur spirit inside of them, is not going to be content at 35 years old and just sitting on a rocking chair or whatever. So I think that that cloud that we were talking about is more along the lines of traditional retirement where you, you sit around in a rocking chair and smoke a pipe or something. And that's not how it is now. But the way I look at it is I have a number of hobbies. Some pay, some don't. But I do what I like to do. I get up when I want to get up. I do what I want. I do it when I want, where I want, why I want, with whom I want. So it's all by my choice, but could you call it work technically, I suppose. And that's why I don't think the early retirement thing or financial independence, I think the whole math thing is moot. Really, I think for most people, if they could get to like 50% financial independence, that's probably good enough because you're going to do stuff. You're going to make a ton of money anyway. I think most of the money that someone's going to make based on the age, based on the dynamics, based on the freed up resources that one has once they're financially independent to do what they want to do, they're probably going to be doing things that they really love. They're probably going to end up adding more value to the world. And when you add value, value comes back around. It's almost like a universal equation that has to kind of balance out. And so when you're doing stuff that really plays to your strengths, you're going to make money. You're probably going to make a ton of money. And so the whole thing where you got to like, scrimp and save and get to this 100% mark on some piece of paper. I don't think it's really necessary in real life. I don't think there's a lot of real life value to that. So I think just getting to the point where you're more independent, you have that freedom, that autonomy in your life, and then you can go off and do whatever you want to do. And you're probably going to end up getting paid and whatever you want to call that or whatever label you want to put on that, it doesn't really matter. 
Taylor, let's talk about this a little bit. From my understanding from the Playing With Fire documentary, it was, it was Scott that came to you and said, hey, we need to start pursuing financial independence. Is the version of financial independence similar to what you're hearing Jason and Ziana say right now? This idea of, well, you're still going to make money after you're financially independent. In fact, you might even make more. Is that what you were thinking when you guys first started talking about this? No. In the last two and a half years, it definitely has changed and altered you know, how I felt or how I thought I was going to feel as we started on this journey and really had an idea, honestly, for me to stop working so I could be with our little girl, which in hindsight, like she's not going to be little anymore when we're done, right? Also, I think we both felt like something was missing or that we were feeling pretty stressed out in normal life. And we were living in this area. I did air quotes because everybody can see that over the podcast. So I think we felt like, okay, if we get out there and we start trying to tackle financial independence as it was written by our standards of you no longer have to work anymore. I think Scott always felt like he wanted to continue to do something. For me, I knew I wanted to do something, but not for money. I'm super passionate about a lot of things that I, I feel like I just don't have time for right now. And, you know, I work full time still today. And I hope that when I'm approaching that end mark, I can transition into something that, you know, will bring me a lot of passion and will continue to keep me interested. But I'm not so concerned about making the money after that. Ziana, listening to Taylor, I start to wonder if this term financial independence has relevance. Basically, what Taylor is saying is, We started thinking about financial independence to give us the power to do things we wanted, like spend time with family or other things we were passionate about. When I listen to you, Ziana, it sounds like you have a full-time job. Did you need to be financially independent per se to pursue the things that interest you the way you're doing today? I think so. I mean, I prefer it because it just gives me a level of safety. You know, I was talking to some friends yesterday about maybe an upcoming recession. I feel like it's coming around the corner and they were both saying their jobs are not that recession proof. And I haven't gone through the whole Airbnb thing in a recession either. And I don't know what that will mean if people are traveling less. But the best thing about my job is that it is recession proof because I don't have to make any more money. You know, like I'm okay regardless. And so that makes me feel really comfortable about whatever I choose. And the two years that I felt really retired, people were giving me jobs all the time. I don't know why, but people feel like, oh gosh, let me help you out. You need some work. So I was always doing little things that ended up paying and it was just fun. It was lots of like odd stuff, but you just can't stop making money. I don't know how you officially turn that off. So I wouldn't worry about it. Jason, Ziana just said you can't stop making money. Do you ever get accused by the internet police of not really being financially dependent or not really being retired because of how busy you are and maybe you are still making money on the side? Yeah, but like I said, I don't necessarily disagree if you want to call it not retired. But I mean, as a 65-year-old guy who retired from being a police officer and fixes up old cars in his garage and resells them because he just loves to do this and he sometimes makes a profit on the car. Is he not retired? I mean, I don't really worry about terms too much, but you know, to what you were saying, do you need to be financially independent? I think you really do. I, I think I agree that you need that kind of safety, but I think it goes beyond that. You need to be free. Like if my portfolio suddenly disappeared and I just had to rely on all my online businesses, that changes the dynamic because it's not in a vacuum. So all of a sudden, if I rely on all this income, 
it's a job now. I have to show up. I have to, you know, book the coaching clients. I have to put out those articles. I have to make sure that my articles are SEO approved and I got to make a certain dollar amount now. It, it totally changes the, the dynamic. And I, I think that when you're really doing something you're passionate about, I, I don't think the money tends to matter too much. You just do it because you love to do it. And vice versa, if you have to do it for the money, I'll give you an example. I love to exercise. I'm in the gym six days a week. I'm in there for about 45 minutes per workout. I love to do it. Obviously, I do it for free. Nobody writes me a check when I clock into the gym and go work out. Nobody pays me. I actually pay to work out. And that, for me, is the biggest definition of if you love something. Not only would you do it for free, but you pay to do it. But now, let's change that workout thing to a job. I have to show up to the gym at 7.30 a.m. I have to clock in. I'm there till 6 p.m. at night, five days a week. I get a 30-minute lunch break. I have a quota for tonnage of weight lifted. I have meetings about exercise. I have a boss. He assigns me tasks with the exercises. I have to do this for the next 40 years of my life until I'm in my 60s and worn out. I get a two-week vacation a year. It totally changes everything. So when you're able to do what you want on your schedule and you're able to dictate the terms, it totally changes everything. So yes, I do think financial independence is necessary because that allows you that freedom to kind of, it's a mechanism, it's a platform. It's like a foundation you can kind of build your skyscraper of life upon and and whatever that skyscraper looks like, it's up to you. But without that foundation, the whole thing crumbles because you, you don't have any control over it anymore. I completely agree, Jason. And I think what you're saying for me resonated in just perspective. You know, when we got into the financial independence movement or subculture or whatever you want to call it, I think for me, I was really narrowed down on this society norm of what I liked and what was good and what was going to make me happy. And then when I got introduced to this community, it was more about, for me, understanding what life could be like without those barriers and without those chains on you. And by the way, I love what I do right now. Like I love my job. So I'm not even one of those people that feels chained down. I just had a massive life event. I had a kid. I didn't have any options not to go back to work or take any time off. So my perspective on what financial independence has changed so much over the last two years. And not to ramble on, but I listened to, and not to plug another podcast here, but I heard a friend, mad scientist, Brandon, who said something to me personally, and then I heard him say it again on a podcast talking about when he kind of fied out and what that looked like. And he told me, you know, look at your life now and see how you already live fi. Like, how lucky are you in some of the roles you have? And I mean, I work remote. I have a lot of privilege in making my own schedule. And, you know, I work in sales. So the harder I work, the more sales there are. You know, that's a ebb and flow of life. And I never looked at it like that before, Fi. I always looked at it like, I have to do this. I have to make the money. I've got to pay the bills. I've got to get in this. And now I have this ability to just say, you know what, even if it takes me 12 years to really hit that number, you know, that we all talk about, I'm okay. And I'm in such a better state of happiness. So what I want to add was towards Jason's point. I think it plays on Taylor's thing as well, but I call myself a lazypreneur. And so for me, what that allows is that, you know, I can just kind of wait till something comes into my inbox, whether it's a client or an opportunity or something, I'm not pounding the pavement. I'm not out there looking for clients, looking for doing marketing, networking a ton. It's like, that doesn't feel natural to me. And it's just not my nature. It's not something I want to be doing. And I don't have to. And so yeah, I like that kind of laziness that I'm able to have with financial independence. And I have lots of friends that are in 
traditional real estate. And I feel like they're all about more, more, bigger, bigger, getting all those big numbers. And for me, I'm just like, okay, what do I actually need? And my goals can be very easy to attain and just kind of smaller to have a simpler life. So it's my preference, but yeah, it doesn't always make sense to everybody else. Ziana, maybe you would have a better perspective on this. And Jason, you too, as you guys have been in this space and, you know, kind of living in that. Do you feel like calling yourself a lazypreneur could be judged or skewed the wrong way? Because I know for us, people hear about this financial independence thing, they immediately think like, oh, you guys are just going to be super lazy in, you know, 10 years and not do anything. Like, how could you even do that to society? You guys have so much to contribute. That's what people immediately think. So by like labeling yourself that, do you get any pushback? Do you care? I think it's more that I just say that to myself. I don't know that I've like, I haven't really put it in my blog or anything like that, but that might be an interesting conversation. You know, that might be something to talk about. But again, I just don't think that I'll ever stop. And it's to that point that like when you're really fired up, the things you put into the world are beautiful things. And so it's like, I think I'll be contributing even more because I'm doing these things that light me up and then in change, like light up other people. And so being free, like I think that's what would be great about everyone being free is that we'd be creating, instead of making a lot of crap for people to just consume, we'd be making beautiful art and, you know, moving forward in technology and just all kinds of things that don't necessarily happen as quickly as they might be able to because we're doing just meaningless jobs. Jason, I want to contradict a little bit this idea of laziness. I think a lot of us look at getting to financial independence so that we can play a less active role in our finances. But in a lot of ways, by being fast fi, by getting to financially independence quickly, you and Ziana and you think even Taylor, in a sense, are being aggressive, aren't you? I mean, that doesn't sound lazy at all, going from you know, zero net worth to financially independent in a matter of years doesn't sound lazy to me. What do you think? Yeah, well, no, it's, I mean, I call it simple, but difficult. It's simple to understand the steps that you need to take. I mean, you could fit all that I did on an index card, but the day-to-day execution of that was actually incredibly difficult. And part of the reason why I started writing about it was because I was looking for, you know, it's creative writing. It's an outlet a little bit, but I was looking for someone to kind of express what it took to get there and share that. I couldn't find anybody doing it because this was back in 2011 when blogs were, I think Pete started up right around the same time I did. So we were, you know, Jacob at Early Retirement Extreme was back then, but there wasn't a lot going on back then. So yeah, lazy, I don't know. I mean, I've never really cared at all about what people say about me. It's never bothered me at all. I guess I just, I don't know if it's, I'm blessed or something with that, but I, I really have never cared. I actually lost my whole family over this financial dependence thing, which I wrote about because they expected me to start paying their bills and stuff because I grew up very poor in Detroit, Michigan, lost my dad when I was eight, my mom committed suicide. And so I have a very small family and they haven't followed the same kind of life path as I have in terms of like financial success and developing certain acumen across different aspects of life. So I actually lost my whole family over this and they called me a lot of names over that. I've never really concerned myself over what people think about me. Is it lazy to do what I do? I, I will be honest. I do sometimes struggle with the thought that maybe I think if you're the kind of person who can do all of this, that can kind of commit that kind of energy toward an all encompassing goal in one's life and you can build businesses, you can build a ton of assets, you can allocate capital efficiently. I don't want to be rude, but a more maybe regular average person can do I do think there's a, maybe a little bit of a guilt that I deal with sometimes where I do feel like I'm not doing as much as I can do. Even though I, I wrote my second book last year, 
I write probably 15 to 20 articles per month. I coach numerous clients. I do a lot. I'm still quite active, but even that I feel sometimes like, could I do more? I, I guess I could, but you got to find that balance too. You know, that balance, it's like a, there's never really a correct exact balance that you're going to find and you're just going to have that balance for the rest of your life. It's always a little bit of a give and a take, a little bit of a compromise where, okay, I can push it a little more and then whoa, 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 I'm, I'm getting worn out. Let me scale it back. And that's just something that is part of life. It's part of the fun. It's part of the journey. So I'm okay with that. Jason, I totally agree. One of the questions I would have, you know, or one of the things I've thought about is, is this financial independence movement something that's pushing us to think like that and pushing us to better ourselves in that thought process? Because I think when you're in the day to day of trying to put a roof over your head and like just trying to do very basic things, it's hard to think, you know, am I doing more? Am I using my skills to help better the world? Am I doing things that could make a difference? It's very hard to think outside of that box because you're just in survival mode, right? Whereas I think a lot of people get into this phi zone and then they they realize, oh, I don't need to be worried about those really basic needs. And now I have the ability to think bigger. And for Scott and I, we're in such an early stage of this, right? And we're by no means any experts. I mean, we have been really just blessed with having a lot of experts in our lives. And so the guidance and like conversations have been able to go in that direction. But even with a lot of our friends that are not on this path, you know, I feel guilty because I'm not able to do more for them, you know, even though there's a lot of preaching that you can do and getting excited that you can do that still doesn't create change in people's lives. Taylor, let's talk a little bit about this idea of getting there quickly. In the Playing With Fire documentary, at multiple points, there's a screenshot where they talk about your savings rate and then the years to fi. Yeah, there is. You know, we played a lot with that the first year and a half. I mean, pushing ourselves to say, if we hit 75% savings rate, we could retire in way less, you know, but what does that feel like emotionally? And, you know, I think this financial independence conversation is as much about happiness and about understanding who we are as people as it is our finances. I mean, I really don't think it has anything to do with it once we got into it. Like you said, Jason, you can put the stats and what you're doing on a note card. Like it's not the actual math behind it and the actual process behind it is not hard to understand. And I am not a mathematician nor an engineer. I'm a recruiter by day. So I deal nothing with math or numbers. But for me, I think understanding how you feel at 75% savings or how you feel at 20% savings you know, could be a very different thing depending on your situation. And so for us in our journey, we explored what those feelings feel like. Let's just say 75% is not for us, you know? <laughs> like, I was very, very unhappy. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing. And there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later... 
you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Ziana, talk about that a little bit. Can you go too far? Yeah. Can you try to get to FI too quickly and end up regretting it? You know, I made some big sacrifices when I was doing it initially. I was living between two apartments and anytime a place booked, I was out of it. And if both places booked, I was at a friend's house and, you know, doing some kind of trade. I was a massage therapist at the time. So I was doing massage trade for friends or taking them out to breakfast or whatever I could to just like constantly be bringing in as much money as I could. So yeah, we make sacrifices, but it was also a game. And I think sometimes it was really ungrounding to be constantly moving around and always living out of a suitcase. But it was also kind of fun to see what was possible and know that like, wow, I don't have to have as many clients or I don't have to go into a job, I can wake up whenever I want, and I have a lot of freedom. So I think it just depends on what people are really needing. Kind of back to that point about the laziness, I think I was just showing like a little bit of self-worth maybe issue in me, you know, and I think that comes up for people through this process is that like some people have this view that you have to be producing to be valuable, you know, and even just the other day, a friend said, why don't you make a course? So, you know, everybody says, oh, you could do so well with that. But like, my heart doesn't get like super lit up with a course, you know, and it seems like a ton of work. And yes, I don't doubt it could make money. And maybe I'll do it at some point. But it's like, to Jason's point, it's like, write the book because you love it, because there's nothing else that you could do. You couldn't not write the book. So it's like, do those projects because they're super passionate about it. 
Jason, when you get to financial independence so quickly, is there a problem trying to figure out what to do next? It seems like we spend so much of our energy getting to that goal that sometimes it's easy to forget about all those other things that are important, like meaning and purpose in our life. Did you have a moment where you paused after you got there and kind of said, okay, what do I do now? I didn't really have that problem. And it's just luck. It was just pure luck. First of all, the reason why I started this whole thing was I got laid off. I was working at a car dealership. I had a very middle-class service advisor, regular $30,000, $40,000 a year job when I started all this. So I had to be extremely frugal to get here and all that. But I was laid off in Metro Detroit in the auto industry in 2009, March of 2009. So this is right about the depths of the Great Recession. So you couldn't have picked a worse industry at a worse place at a worse time other than maybe Wall Street in New York City. I mean, it was close second. So once I realized I had no money coming in and I couldn't afford a roof over my head and I couldn't afford to, to put food in my mouth anymore, other than you know begging for unemployment benefits and stuff, I realized how little control I had over my life. So when we use the word sacrifice, I've always kind of turned that around and said, well, what's the bigger sacrifice, living below your means or working until you're in your 60s and not having any control over your life? And I used to hear this term a lot, YOLO, you know, you only live once. And I'm like, yeah, you do only live once, which is why I'm going to live life on my terms as soon as possible. But figuring out life, I agree with you. I think that uh, the financial independence space is doing it completely wrong. And I've seen this since the get-go where it's this overwhelming focus on money. I would say it's 99% money, 1% life, and it should be vice versa because the money, that gets figured out very, very early on. And it's almost like autopilot. I get it because money is a universal language and happiness and purpose is very individualistic. It's very specific to one person. So I get why it's harder to have that conversation on a broader scale, but it's far more important really. It's far more relevant to really what you're going to be doing because I don't wake up here in Thailand and like stare at a portfolio for 10 hours a day and just like look at numbers and money and stocks. I probably spend more time showering than thinking about money. You know, so are we going to talk are we going to write endless articles and ebooks about showering? I mean, we do need to have a greater conversation. And that's why actually my first blog was Dividend Mantra, which I started back in 2011 and it became a big thing, uh, probably one of the biggest dividend investing websites in the world at its peak. And then I really totally got away from it because I almost got kind of grossed out by all the money talk. And so I started my new site, Mr. Free 33, and it concentrates almost exclusively on what I call the three P's of financial independence of doing it successfully, which is passions, productivity, and progress. You got to progress forward as a human being. You got to have passions in your life. You got to be productive, but to a degree productive, not what your neighbor thinks you should be. The way Warren Buffett, my hero, puts it is he tap dances to work. And work being whatever you make it out to be, be it painting, be it writing, being a personal trainer, be it volunteering down at the local soup kitchen, whatever that might be, whatever you do productively, you should be doing it because you love to do it. And everything I do, like when I started my second blog, I decided not to have an email list. I decided not to market it at all. I just write what I want to write. I do it when I want to do it. And I have the conversations that I think are far more important. Now, do I make as much money doing that? Hell no. Is it far more profitable to write about stocks? I mean, the the advertising numbers on financial products versus happiness. Nobody cares about happiness. (laughs) Nobody clicks on the smiley face. Everybody clicks on the dollar sign. So let's be real. But I do it because I think it's important and because I'm, I'm in a position now, like we were talking about earlier, where I can do that. I don't need to worry about the money too much. Jason, I love that you think like that and you've been in this space for so long that it's real. Like you're really doing that, right? This isn't something that you read and you're like, okay, I'm going to try this out. Like you're doing this. And do you think there's a space 
to like bring the mainstream into it, you know, bring our neighbors that you, you know, you brought up a couple of times, like, okay, well, it's not what everybody else thinks is happiness or what everybody else is looking at on an ad or whatever. But do you think there's a space to bring, you know, mainstream into this and is money the hook? Like, that's kind of what I always think, like money for me and for Scott, I mean, our big mission is like, let's just teach the money piece in education and like go when they're really small and young and formable and like we're able to get in there and really teach basics. And then, then let's focus on happiness. Let's focus on life as a whole. But do you think there's a space for people that are, you know, mainstream? I'll be honest with you. It might be not the answer you're looking for, but I would say no. And the reason why I say that is I've coached a lot of people and these are people who seek me out who are actually in this space looking for somebody who did it so fast And 99% of them truly are just looking for a little more comfort in their life. They just want to have an extra 30, 40, 50 K in the bank. So that way they get laid off or something, they have something to fall back on. I truly think for the vast majority of people in this world, they wouldn't know what to do. I mean, that's why like lottery winners, you know, what's the percentage on that go broke within five or six or seven years, athletes and stuff like that. So if everybody just had the money, and again, this is why I, I focus on totally different content now, because the money is... People are like Gollum or Smeagol in Lord of the Rings, like my precious with the money. They get this like super obsessive, like possessive thing over it. They're just little claim checks or just little bartering pieces of paper you use. But that's the thing. That's how people are, are wired. And whenever I do the coaching, a major problem I have with every single client is that one person wants it and the spouse or the partner doesn't. And they got to talk that person into it. And so it's really important to sell the value to that person because you got to think people are being bombarded with marketing all day long about why you want this, why you need that, why this will make you happy. And typically it's equated with money. This is why this luxury car will make you happy because it costs more. I'll give you a story actually to back that up. I worked in the auto industry. I worked for an Audi car dealership before I quit my job and did all I do. And I was in the finance office talking to my finance manager once and uh, we were talking about a promotion that we had going on and he got a call. And he was like, shh, put the guy on speaker. It was a guy who was actually trying to finance an A8, which is like the Mac Daddy Audi four-door luxury uh, sedan. And he called the finance manager and he was saying, hey, you know, I'm thinking about maybe backing out of this car because my buddy down at the country club just bought a BMW uh, 7 Series. He loves it. So you need to tell me, why do I need this A8? Why is this A8 the car? This BMW is cheaper. It's got the better specs. You know, it, it seems like it's just a better car. And he's telling me why I should buy this BMW and you're crazy. You know what my finance manager told him? He said, the A8 costs more. And the guy bought the A8. He said, guess what? When you can roll in with that A8, your buddy knows it costs more. He knows his BMW 7 Series costs less than yours. So who's more important now? And that's the way society is. So yeah, if you give them money, they'll feel more important, but then they won't know what to do with themselves because they equate that money. People conflate net worth with self-worth. That's a real shame. And I don't know if people would know what to do with themselves all day long if they don't have a set of tasks to do, a job to do, a place to show up to, and things to do throughout their days. I think that the the whole freedom aspect, it's wonderful. The autonomy is truly, I mean, I couldn't imagine life without it. But I don't know if just everybody across the entire world, every Joe and every Jane in the entire world, if you just unleashed complete freedom, would they use that properly? Would they know what to do? Would they be able to self-direct themselves in an efficient way? It's tough and uh, you got to sell the value. And, you know, even with what I've been doing and talking about and working with coaching clients and writing and all this and that, even with my own family, my own friends, none of them were ever interested in it. I could talk till I'm blue in the face about it, about why it's so great. 
they couldn't have been less interested. And, and that's okay by me. I've always told people, it never behooved me to convince anyone to stop buying my products that my businesses sell you and for you to buy my stocks and make them more expensive for me. I, but I do it. I try to convince people because I, I hope and I think that it will make you happier if you do see that light. But the typical path of life. And uh, when I said, what is a greater sacrifice, living below my means or working until I'm in my 60s? I know what the answer to that is, but I think a lot of other people would answer that differently about what sacrifice means, about what they truly want, and because of the way their brains are wired toward happiness and money and everything else. So let me jump in a little bit. Taylor, you are working on this audacious goal of financial independence. What does it feel like to hear what Jason's saying? I mean, basically he said the financial independence community is getting it wrong. It's 99% about life and 1% about money. What does that feel like for you to hear that after all you've been through in the last year or two? Well, maybe this is surprising, but I kind of agree with him. I mean, I think that in the initial upfront, you absolutely are focused 99% on money and 1% on happiness. But six months into it, once you get everything kind of straightened out, I've never had to think about happiness. And that's a privilege that I just like became, you know, I grew up with a great family. I have a great job. I have a good loving husband. We have a healthy, beautiful daughter. And I've never had to think about that before. And when I got into the financial independence movement, I had to look hard at my life, at myself. I started seeing a therapist for the first time ever. And just like introspectively looking at my life and after the money was figured out, like, okay, why am I reaching for something? Why am I struggling at this? Or why do I feel unhappy in this space? When all the dollars were coming in, I mean, at our highest savings rate, the most spoiler alert, in the movie at the height of like, you know, really the most savings we had, I was the most unhappy. So really looking hard at that. I think I agree. I think it is more about happiness. Yeah. And I love seeing that Jason is writing about happiness now, because honestly, I think it's a huge piece that's not talked about with early retirement. I think that that's sort of the spiritual journey that happens once you've retired, that you no longer can say, oh, I'll be happy when I'm not in this job anymore. And like, I'm only not happy because I don't have free time or that I don't get to do these things. But then the whole veil is, is lifted and like, you are the only one responsible for your happiness. And so, yeah, it's up to you to make yourself happy. And I think for a lot of people, that's really hard. So it is a big piece that I don't think people talk about much in the FI community, but it's an important one. So Ziana, let me transition this a little bit. If it's mostly about happiness, why are we trying to get there so fast? I think for me, that gives a lot more happiness. You know, I mean, there's a lot of values that I have around freedom. I don't know that everybody has those, but I want to wake up whenever I want in the morning. I want to choose what sort of tasks I do every day. I want to say, I don't want to do this thing because I think it's going to bring stress into my life, regardless of if it's money or not money. You know, I think that it just gives you a whole spectrum of choice. You know, I can spend two hours cooking like a really, I don't know, special lunch for myself just because I felt inspired that day. And I leave in the middle of the day and go hang out with a friend or go hike every day. So for me, I couldn't do that with a normal job. Yeah, it's just giving me choice. And I've also noticed in your writing, you've talked openly about the death of your parents. Do you think that pushed you to want to be financially independent faster? Yeah, I think, you know, that it gave me just some perspective about how 
short our lives are. And it sounds like Jason probably has some of that as well. I didn't know about his family. But for me, that was when I really retired. I just kind of was like, I don't think I can do more. Like I can't push on. I don't know if I can commit to appointments and being somewhere at a certain time because I didn't know how I would wake up every day. Some days with grief, you just, you're a crazy person. And I don't know if that's fully gone yet five years later, but I just think that, yeah, I was so grateful that my money had my back and I had the choice. And at that time I was making a lot less, you know, with my cash flow and stuff, but I just used frugality as a muscle and just scaled way back. So that's the great thing is that you learn this skill that you can always use. And so, yeah, if a recession comes around, I know I can just turn the dial down if I have to. Jason, I want to also talk a little bit about your childhood too. You clearly went some rough stuff. How did that change your financial path? Yeah, it's interesting. I grew up in a crack house in Detroit on welfare. You know, Eminem is famous for talking about growing up on 8 Mile well, Eight Mile was like the nice neighborhood, around like four miles down the road from me. I was on the other side of the railroad tracks, but I, I'm not rapping about it. So, you know, I guess uh, good on him. But yeah, I grew up in a tough neighborhood, tough childhood. It, it is what it is. I mean, I'm, I'm still very lucky. I was born in 1982, America, white, male. You know, I'm, I'm hitting the genetic lottery in a lot of ways. So it, it's still very fortunate. But in terms of how it shaped my finances, it's hard to say. I mean, my, my dad left when I was eight. My mom was a, a very bad drug addict and gave us up for adoption when I was 11. But between the time when my dad left and that adoption occurred, I had to basically become an entrepreneur at a very young age. I had to cut grass, shovel snow, rake leaves. I charged five bucks a yard. So I, I did that to make money, to be able to afford food and things like that because we, we didn't have parents anymore. So, you know, it instilled a lot of hard work in me at a young age. You know, I kind of had to build my own little Jason's landscaping business at, at nine years old. So you know, taught me a lot about hard work, about the value of money and stuff like that. And those are lessons I'm still learning to this day, to be honest with you. It's a never ending process, a never ending journey, but it is what it is. I don't really look back on it too harshly. If anything, I mean, the way my parents were, they taught me what not to do in life. I look at them as like reverse role models and I'm very fortunate for that. I, I got to see up close and personal what stuff like drugs and alcohol and overconsumption of anything, be it drugs, be it shoes, be it your drug of choice. I think if you overconsume and you go crazy with something, money too. If you take on this Gollum Smeagol thing with the money, you'll, you know, it's the same thing. So if you, if you become obsessed about something, you let it consume you to the point of destruction. Uh, I think that's a bad way to go. Even if you think it starts out as a healthy recreational thing, it can have a dark side. Okay, I'd like to return this to the original question to give everybody a chance to answer the question, is there a fast path to financial independence? And I want to give you a chance to actually add on that to should you do it fast? Yes, I think there is definitely a fast path. I mean, we've only been doing this for two and a half years and we are drastically in a completely different space of life from a money perspective because we cut hard, we made big changes, we moved, you know, we did a couple of things that were pretty big in that space. So yes is the answer for there is a fast path. Should you do it? I don't recommend doing it fast to anyone. <laughs> I think we personally did such an extreme just overhaul on everything all at once. And that's, you know, cue the therapist, like where you need like a little bit of reality check and just like still doing normal life and like being yourself. And instead of just 180 everything, I think that's really hard emotionally and it makes it hard long term to stay the course if you drastically change something so quickly. So I think making small movements and making small changes 
in my opinion, probably would have been a little bit easier, at least for me personally, to digest in my journey so far. Makes it more sustainable when you take the little smaller steps. Uh, Ziana, you probably would characterize yourself as following a fast path of financial independence. Is there a path? I think you'd be an example as there is, should you want to follow it? Yeah. I mean, I think it just depends on how you do it. And there are a lot of fast paths, especially with real estate and Airbnb has opened up a whole new world for that. So yes, it's totally possible. I've heard of people retiring with just one property um, and living like Jason does abroad and just kind of using the lower living expenses as an immediate fi. So yeah, I think it just depends on what your why is you know, what's the thing behind it and what your needs are. Some people I think need a more comfortable or familiar life, but if you can just up and live abroad and leave your house behind and you're okay with all these changes, then yeah, make it a game, you know, and you can have your freedom tomorrow. And for me, yeah, it's worth it. But was it hard? Yes. Perfect. Jason, to you, you up and moved to Thailand. What was a big deal there? Was that part of your fast path? Did that make it fast in light of that? those who are listening to this, is that something that they should be considering as a part of their fast path to financial independence? Well, yeah, I mean, it is, the fast FI is possible. You know, we've done it, but is it for everyone? No, of course not. Everybody has different needs. Everybody has a different lifestyle idea. Kids, no kids, living abroad, not living abroad, house, renting, it's all different. So, you know, you need to figure out your why. You need to also figure out your what. You know, what does your lifestyle look like? For me, it was absolutely worth it. I couldn't live without this. And I couldn't imagine life without it. I had to have it. I had to have it. I had a job I hated. And now my life is, you know, I don't want to introduce too much uh, hubris here, but it really is wonderful. And I'm very, very fortunate. I'm thankful every day for it. Living abroad, of course, it's not for everybody. All the stuff that I've done is not for everybody. You know, I had a vasectomy many years ago, but it wasn't about money. I genuinely just didn't want to have children. You know, a $350 investment, a child runs a quarter of a million dollars over the course of their life. The ROI was tempting, but that truly wasn't part of it. I just didn't want to have children. So, But someone could look at that and say, oh, he doesn't have kids. That's extreme. It's like, well, I didn't want to have kids. And he lives in Thailand. I've been interested in moving to Thailand since I was a kid. I actually saw a little travel thing when I was young, when I got adopted and we had access to television. And I saw a little thing about Koh Samui, you know, the island here in Thailand. I saw these Thai women walking around and these coconuts and, you know, being in Michigan with the uh, four seasons and by four seasons, I mean two construction mm-hmm. winter, you know, yeah, it was very appealing. So a lot of the things I've done seem extreme to others. They just seem quite natural to me to wake up when I want do what I want, live in Thailand and do my lifestyle. So for me, the fast five thing wasn't really like a, the sacrifice for me would have been not doing fast five. So I think you nailed it there. When you have a job that you're miserable in, that's the trigger. If you're doing a job like Taylor's doing that you're happy with, what's the hurry, right? Have good practices, find that balance like we've all been talking about. And that's kind of the answer, isn't it? So I'll give each of you a chance to promote yourself. Let us know what is up next in your life. Where can we find you, Ziana? I have a blog with my name, Ziana McIntyre. I do consulting. I manage people's homes and just teach people how to build their own Airbnb businesses. And I'm currently writing a book about money, but Depending on whether or not Bigger Pockets wants to publish it, I might go. end up doing something on Airbnb investing first because they're talking me out of it. Jason, where can we find you and what is up next for you? I blog over at MrFree at 33.com. And I've also written a couple books. The first one was The Dividend Mantra Way. Second one is Five Steps to Retire in Five Years. Talk about fast fly. What's up next for me? You know, I'm just enjoying life right now. I'm very fortunate to do what I do. I wake up at about 10, 30, 11 o'clock 
and spend a few hours a day writing and exercising. And this is life for me. So the what's up next for me is just to continue enjoying the good fortune. Taylor, how about you? What is up next for you and where can we find you? Yeah, we are like in a really fun stage of the Playing With Fire documentary because it's actually coming out, like really coming out. Mm -hmm. So um, starting June 1st, we are going to kick off kind of a little tour around the country and go see some movies. So you can find us at playingwithfire.co. And yeah, please look at the website. We have all the showings up and we'd love to see you guys. I mean, just come out, see the movie, join us. Yeah, and if you haven't already seen the movie, for those who are listening to this, you got to find a way to see the movie. If they haven't, how can they go find the movie now? Or do they have to wait till it comes out on the tour? Yeah, you got to wait till it comes out on the tour. And then after the tour will probably be the digital side of the house. All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we wanted to thank Jason, Ziana, and Taylor. If you would like to get updates on what Doc and I are thinking up next, you can text the word NEXT to 345-345 so you can get notified of free giveaways, opportunities to engage with the What's Up Next podcast, and maybe even be a guest on the podcast. We're adding consistent content to our Facebook group, and you can get access by texting the word NEXT to the number 345-345. That's a wrap. Well done, guys. Thanks Good for conversation. Yeah, thanks so much. That was fun. I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, putting all this together and all the hard work. I know what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, and we just do the audio side. I can't imagine what it would be like to go around doing all those, all those takes and the videos and all the editing afterwards oh, um, for an entire movie. I cannot imagine. Plus the promotion afterwards. Yeah. Well, I don't really do any of it. I'm just, I have a day job, so Scott does all that. You're the starlet. Yeah. Yeah. I just show up, right? (laughs) Uh, Glad that's not on audio, right? Totally kidding. Nailed it. All three of you just hit it on the first take. No mistakes. We were were like, well, we weren't hoping, but we were just (laughs) somebody always makes a mistake. We were like, blooper reel. Hmm. Taylor's on it. You don't want to see my blooper reel. <laughs> I have. Okay. Okay. It's in the end of the movie. And for me, yeah, it's worth it. But was it hard? And do I see a therapist? Yes. <laughs> I think it's normal. Yes. <laughs> want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts.